Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in Her Space, it's kind of like a financial advisor. Do we really need financial advisors? Need? I mean, you can do without one. You can. But what's to lose with having a good one? Nothing. What's to gain? Oh my gosh, unlimited. Like it's really not limited at all. And such is the same with a coach. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all of the new beginnings that we have for this year. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace podcast and I have some exciting news for you. I just published my self-help book, How to Glow Up As You Grow Up your go-to guide for overcoming obstacles and making lemonade. So if you've ever experienced loss, childhood trauma, a narcissistic partner, or depression, this book is just for you. If you visit glowupbook.com, again, that's glowupbook.com, you can order your copy today and you will surely be inspired. So I hope that you decide to join me on this journey and I'll see you soon. Lady, today we have a very special guest in her space. We have Farah Bernier. She is the founder and principal coach of Living Fabulously Fierce, a coaching company prioritizing partnership with individuals committed to living with aim, authenticity, intention, and masterful execution. Farah is also an experienced corporate talent leader, currently working as an executive human resources business partner at Google with a portfolio that includes clients in both Google and its parent company, Alphabet. Farah has built a professional brand of distinguished credibility and expertise in developing talent management strategies that extend seamlessly into best practices. Farah, welcome to Her Space. Thank you so much. And I am going to need you to do all of my intros moving forward. That was amazing. (laughs) Yes, girl, you bomb. I'll take it. (laughs) How are you? 
we are well, and we are ready to dive into hearing about how you live fabulously fierce. So I am going to start us off with our quote of the day, which Farah should sound really familiar to you because it's your words. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even get a warning on that. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I think these words are fabulous, but we'll let you be the judge. (laughs) So our quote of the day, in the choices we make is the sweet spot of brilliantly arriving at the recognition of the truth that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to say that one more time for the folks in the back. In the choices we make is the sweet spot of brilliantly arriving at the recognition of the truth that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I haven't heard that in a really long time. And I actually remember when I wrote that and said it. Wow. When did you write it? Tell us, tell us. When did you write this? What prompted this to come up for you? So the fearfully and wonderfully made is a reference to the, to the Bible phrase, the Bible scripture, you knew me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it was during a season where I decided that fear and I were actually going to have a relationship in which I was going to give fear its place and let it understand that it was no longer in a position to put me at the affect of, but I was going to direct the application of fear in my life to the point where it was minimized and had limited impact. And the reason I remember that so distinctly, it was during a season where there was just a lot coming in all at once. And I decided to just just take the reins. And it's when you got to call a thing a thing, if you will, and in naming it, putting it in its place. But that means you have to take your position too, right? And that position is living in, in the understanding and the truth of being fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that. That is so powerful. It sounds like you were saying that you sort of reframed the fear and sort of shifted the way that you used it, I want to say, because it sounds like the fear was still there, but you sort of transmuted that energy. How did you refocus that energy and what, what did you use that fear energy for? Yeah. So the be- the best way I can kind of articulate giving something its role, actually, I just I had a full day of clients this past weekend. And interestingly enough, the thing that kept coming up was the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And each person, two of these clients were new to me and we do level setting in our first session all the time. And of course, it's kind of this, people say this in passing, oh, and I, I think I got imposter syndrome. So I'm just need to get rid of that too. And what I have to coach people on is you actually don't get rid of imposter syndrome. You just give it its script and you tell it when and how to play. And that is the same thing with fear, right? Fear is just, it's part of life in that we're always going to have things that cause us to take on a position of offense or defense, right? And usually what I, what is at the root of that is fear. It doesn't have to be immobilizing fear, 
but I'm afraid because it's new. I'm afraid because it's ambiguous. I'm afraid because I don't know what's going to happen. But you get to also decide when you know who you are, you get to decide what role fear is going to play. So for me, fear, the imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it, it is a curiosity point. So when something, you know, throws me off kilter or makes me a little worried, I, I go deep and figure out, okay, what's causing that? Oh, it's just because it's new? Okay, well, it's new. Okay, so here's what's going to happen here. I'm going to learn everything I can about this situation, not to get rid of the fear, but to minimize it and make fear more of a factor of excitement about the new thing or experience versus something that has power to immobilize me and make me feel like I can't do this because it's new or different as something I've never experienced before. Wow. (laughs) So as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about getting curious about our fear, realistically, how easy is that for people to do? Because, you know, I think about some of the like random phobias, irrational fears that I have about certain things. Mm-hmm. And how do you go from saying, okay, this thing is immobilizing me. And it's and when you're feeling immobilized, you're not feeling positive about this at all. So then, but curiosity is more of an excitement, more of a positive emotion. So how do we get someone to go from being immobilized to I'm going to be curious and excited about this thing? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, and so a couple of things, like even listening to you, Dom, like when you said it's irrational, words are important, right? What does irrational mean? I mean, if you're afraid of something, if something is causing you fear, is it irrational? It's, it's your feeling, right? And, and so if it's your feeling, it's totally fine. But what we have to figure out is what is causing that fear. And so I think the first thing to shift from being immobilized and at the affect of something is just question, is it irrational or is it just my thing? You know, and if it's just your thing, okay, cool. Let's figure out why this is your thing. You know, an example is I used to be no one will believe this because I could talk to the wall and think that it's going to talk back to me and we're, we're going to be cool. But I used to have this fear of public speaking, terrifying, overly terrifying, right? And just the folks that I was always around, none of them had any fear. Like every people can wait to get on stage. And I also grew up, my mom kept us very busy because of where we grew up. It was, it was actually a matter of safety as much as it was educational enrichment. So we did tap, jazz, ballet. I played piano, like all these things that always put me in front of audiences. And so then to progress to a point of not being able to speak in front of people, that's not a rational fear. We could say that's the case, but it's still my fear. And so let's take off the label of rational or not and shift to what's underneath this. Because what we think we see and feel, there's always more under the hood. So I think the first step is understanding that there's always something underneath the layer that is first apparent to you. And so that means take the judgment off. Just first take the judgment off. Once you take the judgment off, 
then take on the role of investigator. And as an investigator, your only job is to be curious. You don't even have to figure it out yet because there isn't really a case. All there is is life and you're just living and you're evolving. And so if you can not judge yourself, not judge your fear, not judge whether it's irrational or not, but just accept that it is. And if it is, shift into investigator mode, knowing that all you're looking for is the next layer, not the solution yet. Stay curious and then the solution will just show up. I love that you share that, Fair And Dom, I love that you brought that up because that's something that I would typically say to myself, you know, oh, that's not rational. The way that you said it, Farrah, it does sound a little judgy, but my best friend, she sent me a post this week and it was a list of different ways that we gaslight ourselves. And it was so deep and there was something around this theme of, oh, why do you feel this way? Or, you know, this is irrational. And it kind of brought that back up for me. And so I guess the question I have for you is what prompted you to even explore this career of executive coaching? Like what piqued your interest about this career? Yeah. So one quick thing too, to just close the loop on Dom's question and and finalize my answer. The other thing that I will say has helped me immensely is this practice of energy leadership. And I, I will tell you as someone who's certified in it, I wish the name were different because it sounds so impalpable, if you will, but it's pretty basic. All it is, is this leadership attribute of being able to understand how you show up on the day-to-day when things are quote-unquote going your way as is, what your triggers are. And then once you identify your triggers, fully understanding how that makes you shift. And in your shifting, have to stay curious to determine how to get back to your usual mode of operating. So it's that first layer of no judgment, second layer of investigate. And as a coach, For me, who also went through this exercise, energy leadership literally day to day helps me manage in that way. To your question, Terry, in terms of what got me into this space, there's so many pieces, but what it boils down to is I I remember my first job out of school. I was in human resources. I was doing this rotational program and I was fortunate enough to land my first rotation in compensation. And compensation is an organization's method of figuring out what they reward, how they reward, and how rewards are distinct by level, by job family, by experience, all of the things. Inevitably, part of that is having conversations about people So at 20 years old, I'm sitting in rooms with leaders who told me they could be my parents, right? And and these are major heavy hitter decision makers in the organization. And we're having to evaluate employees as we determine how we're going to comp them, i.e. base increases, bonuses, equity, all of it. And conversations were happening and I was observing these general trends of constructive feedback on women and in particular people of color. Mm. And none of the conversations were egregious. I will say that. But I felt like I was behind the curtain listening to these conversations about people and how those 
constructive points of feedback were impacting their careers, were impacting their pockets, and they would never know because no one was going back to share with them the feedback. Nobody was going back to them to say, here's your development plan while we reward you for your performance. These folks were getting paid, they were getting bonuses, but had no idea that there was a gap in how they were being perceived and or sometimes how they were showing up and it was impacting their livelihood. Damn. And yeah. And I just remember sitting there like, wow, quite frankly, talk about imposter syndrome. I've never done this work before. The youngest one in the room. I'm the only person of color in this room, like everything. And it was the moment that I realized, wow, I really am sitting right in the middle of both sides of the curtain, right? Mm -hmm. What can I do to facilitate insight sharing without breaking confidentiality, right? Like I can't go share policies (laughs) and practices and I can't really just yet in my career challenge the CEO. I can't do that. But what I can do is figure out how do I get to folks who are getting feedback around executive presence, what that really means. And what ended up happening was I went a couple of years later to grad school and this just stuck with me. And I went to Babson College for my MBA and Babson has year over year over year over year been number one for entrepreneurship. And so I got into this program called The Hatchery. The Hatchery is basically an incubator. You get everything you need to start a business, to run your business through the school. And this was my opportunity. I wanted to create a company that served as the bridge. It had this creative name, Bernier Bridge Group. Yep. Um, (laughs) How do I serve as the bridge between employer and employee sharing knowledge around coaching practices for the employees and then providing insights around critical talent to employers who might not know that they were missing really good talent because they called, you know, limited experience in communicating in large forms as if someone couldn't communicate while also getting the employee to work on that. So we were the bridge to facilitating that for organizations. So what I realized I was still missing was the actual practice of coaching. And so I went to go get my certification And as I got my certification, I realized that I'd been coaching my whole life. I am first-generation American, raised in the household as the oldest of three, and I was learning stuff with my parents. And because I also respect my parents, I would never give direction. I would always provide questions that led them to investigate alternative opportunities (laughs) or motivation, right? And then with my siblings, it was never, you know, directing them or guiding them, but staying inquisitive so that they could find their own path and determine what they wanted to do and, and their how, because the three of us are all very different. And so that's a long of it in that I think it's always been a part of what I've done, but I didn't really know the power of it until I was sitting in rooms hearing feedback about people who would never get it. And I wanted to find out how could I, with integrity, be the person to give it to them while also supporting the organization that I work for. I love that. I truly can appreciate how you said that coaching has always been in you, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a, a bunch of pieces within that that I really that resonated with me. <laughs> the one thing that has really piqued my interest is you were sitting in these rooms getting this information and trying to figure out how do you get this information to other people. And yeah. so can you share with us what were some of the biggest challenges or some of the, the most critical feedback for mm. black women that you heard mm. in those spaces? Consistently, communication just needs to be better with no additional detail. She just needs the executive presence with no additional detail. I just don't know if she want it, wants it. She doesn't show up as a go-getter with no additional detail. Sometimes it was, you know, she's just a little too aggressive, which is a known thing that we deal with. It was all the coded terms for folks just not being comfortable with us. And I would say those three in particular were the most consistent. It's what we still hear, right? I mean, now I'm in a position where I hear those things and I, I, I can stop someone. I'm not 20 anymore. I'm not the newbie. <laughs> hey. And you know, right? Like, and I can say, well, tell me, what do you mean by that? And, and I will tell you, multiple people will say, well, I guess that's not what I mean. No, it's not. <laughs> right. So what do you mean? What do you mean? And, and what is happening is that, and I do appreciate this is that people are learning that what they are calling communication skills is just a different mode of someone showing up than their mode of showing up. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I think for black men in particular, it's always, well, I just, he's not a go-getter. And I'm like, but do you understand if he showed up as the go-getter he is, you would not be able to handle it. You, you Mm -hmm. actually would not handle it. So he is, adjusting and maintaining malleability because anything else would be offensive to you. Not because it's offensive, but it is offensive to you. And so it's shifted to more of an opportunity for me to coach those in power than it is just me coaching employees. It's now, I'd say, more of a balance of both. I love that. Isn't that amazing, yeah. I'm just like, my mouth is just on the ground right now. And I, I just think that the work that you're doing and the story you have, one, is so inspiring. But then the work that you're doing is so honorable. You know, you're it's like you're getting the game, you're understanding the system, and then now empowering your people to know how to navigate it. Because when you think about it, the system is so nuanced when it comes to how we need to act against those, you know, against our counterparts. And we could literally have the same behaviors but oftentimes, because we look the way that we do, right, our skin color is the way that it is, there's, there's a different perception, which is so disheartening. But I will say there is hope because of the work that you do and the fact that you are a witness that people are learning. And so we'd love to know, what has coaching taught you about yourself and how has it changed you? About myself, I'm so aligned with my purpose. Like I know why I'm here. Mm. It's the thing for me. It has taught me that I am so aligned for what I'm here to do. And opportunities show up for me 
to maintain that alignment, to be consistent with my values. I have to sometimes manage my default to coaching, right? Like both of you were on a Living Fabulously Fierce podcast and I had to catch myself multiple times. Like, no, Terry's not asking you for coaching right now. <laughs> or Dom is not, Dom having a conversation with you. There's no coaching to be had here, right? So it's, it literally has taught me that I am on this journey that is truly aligned to what I believe I'm, I'm here to do. And it's also taught me that curiosity is what it's, what serves me the most. I was that kid who, who asked why, not just because children ask why. I ask why, because I really want to know. I really want to know why the sky is blue and not purple. Oh, sometimes it is. What makes it so? What makes it not? I was the one who... My poor mother, when I had science projects, they were always about stars and comets. And I was I was obsessed with the solar system. And I never could understand, you're an adult, you know everything, right? So why can't you tell me why we don't see comets in, in shooting stars in Dorchester, Massachusetts? You know, like it's just, I, I truly am a curious being. And I also have, those who really know me would say, I just have an old soul and coaching has taught me that that's why I can stay by nature curious because if we look at those who are more senior than us, they don't have to take up space. They're like, I'm tired. I'm here to just listen and observe. I don't need to, you know, be at the forefront of everything. And and that is, is part of my mode of operating. How has it changed me? Most importantly, or critically, I should say, is energy leadership. I am someone who you know, we're our own worst critic, but I think I growing up took so seriously all that my mother did and, and, you know, would do for us still today if she could. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears, there's nothing this woman would not do for us. We struggled growing up financially, but she always found a way and made a way. And so I just always looked at myself as an investment. And as such, I am here to always provide a return, right? Because what do good investments do? They have yield. And what that also sets you up for is being at the affect of mistakes, if you will, or not getting things quote unquote right. And if you tell me something needs to be hundred percent, you're always going to get 200 at minimum. And what coaching taught me is more than anything else, but coaching taught me, you know, pursuit of perfection is the enemy of the good. And through energy leadership, it's self-management around those things. So now energy leadership is as much my default to self-management and self-care as much as is coaching and curiosity as a coach in my day-to-day. This is just, I am, I, I, I could sit back and listen to you <laughs> talk <laughs> all day because your energy, I like, I really feel your energy, right? Your energy yeah. is one that, like you said, like truly exudes curiosity, but there's this warmth to it that I mm-hmm. feel as we're engaging in conversation. And for me, I recognize that also a lot of times like that warmth and that that type of energy and some of the things that you spoke about are skills that 
therapists use, right? Yeah. And so yeah. can you explain to us what is the difference between someone coming to you for coaching versus needing to have a therapist? Yeah. I do not take lightly people partnering with me as their coach. I consider it a deep honor because to me, someone coming to you to partner with you as a coach is them letting you in on their journey. And that is a sacred partnership. I do not take it lightly. And so that being said, I respect my role and the role of others in someone's life. And what I mean by that is, If I see something that a client is grappling with and it shows up as something that is more historical in nature, and they will tell you, I have stopped our conversations and guided them to seek out therapy. And this is why, and and here's the distinction, a therapist is there to help you cope, grapple, manage with things in your history that are still persisting and showing up for you. And they are trained in that because you go deep in that space with someone that is both an opportunity, but potentially destructive, even if the destruction is to build somebody back up, right? Which which usually it is with a therapist. Right, right. Yeah, that's what a therapist is there for. I will tell you, I have two clients who they always share with me conversations that they're having with their therapist. And I have to tell them, you have a very good therapist. I've never met their therapist. I don't know their therapist, but when I hear the conversations that they're coming to me with, they will say, yeah, yeah, my therapist and I talked about this and we were dealing with this with family, blah, blah, blah. And then she told me, this is, I need to update you on this because now you and I need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, you have an amazing therapist because the therapist then also knows that they deal, generally speaking, they're dealing with the history. I am here to deal with the here and now that is positioning to also move forward. So here's an example. If You are someone who, we we can even make it a a recent situation for someone. If they're grappling with operating as a victim of abuse, and that is their default mode of operating, they may come to me and say, Farah, I am now starting to to do online dating and I'm setting up my profile. I want to make sure that I'm proactively presenting a brand that is authentic to me and just displays these three things and gets rid of this victim mentality that I have. This person and I can do that, but if I keep hearing them talk about Jason and Tyrone and what they did to, sorry, Tyrone, I know we always use your name, but you know, they're always coming up with like the history, then you, you're actually not done with Jason and Tyrone. You're not. And so I have to tell you their stuff, that experience, it's still got a hold on you and it's in your past. That's not my lane. My lane is the present and forward. I do need you for our work to be most effective to seek out counseling therapy so that you can deal with that history with someone who knows how to do that well. 
right? That's not my lane. I would love to do it. I think it's very interesting and fascinating. It would be irresponsible for me to do that. And so the distinction really is history and future while we stand in the present trying to discern the the impact of both. Thank you for that. You know, I think that one of the things that constantly comes up, even in my work as a therapist, is that there are times where as we're dealing with the here and now, particularly with my work with college students, is that there may be some coaching involved, right? In Mm. helping them address their here and now. But I like what you said that like, my role as a therapist is to help them look through and explore and gain insight into their history, their past and how it's affecting their present. Exactly. And and actually, that's the beauty of a therapist, right? The, the therapist can actually do both. A coach who is not a therapist should never even try. That's when it gets dangerous. Like I think the benefit of a therapist, especially if it's a therapist who's also certified in coaching, that's like the plus, 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 is they, they can do both. And, and a really good therapist actually does touch upon both. But to activate coaching, that is the line. Right, right. And so as we think about some of the women who are listening to us right now, and they're saying, well, Farah, why would I need a coach? I think things are going great in my job. Why would I need a coach? And so what would your response be to them? My first response would be, why wouldn't you need one? Ooh. Literally, like, why wouldn't you need one? What is there to lose by having a partner on your journey with you who's going to hold you accountable to your own set goals, your committed brand positioning, and help you through the process of self-discovery, definition, and distinction? So it'd be more question. And if they, someone might have an answer, well, because I'm good like that. Okay, cool. And if that's the case, then the other thing I would say, and, and I will, you know, be selfish with this is for Black women in particular, I need you to understand everybody else is getting one. Mm-hmm. You want to be left out? It's kind of like a financial advisor. Do we really need financial advisors? Need? I mean, you can do without one. You can. But what's to lose with having a good one? Nothing. What's to gain? Oh my gosh, unlimited. Like it's really not limited at all. And such is the same with a coach. That is an excellent statement. I love that and totally support that. And I'm with you 100%. It's like, especially if everyone else has this sort of secret superpower in their back pocket, right? That's assisting them. I love coaching and therapy and I love them in tandem as well. And so I think that it's great advice. I do want to ask before we shift up the energy in the interview, I want to ask if you were to give black women three pro tips based on the feedback you shared earlier on some of the conversations that are happening in rooms that we may not be in, what three tips would you offer black women as it relates to showing Mm -hmm. up in the workplace to sort of combat some of the stereotypes and all that stuff? Can I go back to the last question really quickly when you you said, People have this in their back pocket. I started my company to get to primarily women, minority women and black women in particular, but all people of color. My roster continues to just persist with white women, a few white men, and even less women of color. Mm -hmm. 
even if someone who tries to show up for us and who, by the way, makes it affordable, there are coaches who charge three times as much as I do. We are not investing in ourselves. So to your point, like everybody else is using this weapon and keeping it in their toolbox as their like secret thing. I can't tell you somebody, a client texted me today. She just hired her first employee for her company that we've been working on for years. And she's passing this on to the stuff that I've coached her on to her employee. She's building an empire and using stuff that I've given her. It, it is paying dividends. And that's not happening with us. We don't do that. And we need to, we really, really need to. So sorry, I had to, to pull that thread a little bit, yeah. but yeah, pro tips. First and foremost, it's going to sound, actually it is, it is a tax, but Take the tax to get the dividends. And the tax is number one, give people permission to give you feedback. One of the things that I observe is that managers, leaders have feedback for us, but they're always afraid to give it. Go give them permission. I've done that. And what that looks like is, hey, I know we have annual reviews once a year, but I would really appreciate it if maybe on a quarterly basis, I get feedback from you on X, Y, and Z. Is that possible? Nobody's going to say no. Give them the points that you want the feedback on so that they can go do their little preparation without being afraid and receive it, right? So give people permission to give you feedback. Take the feedback is the second pro tip, right? Because sometimes... Look, some of the feedback is ridiculous. Like sometimes it just is, right? But you asked for it. You receive, you have to receive it. So that's the second pro tip. And understand that receiving does not mean agreement. Mm -hmm. And so this is the thing about operating in a system. If you have a manager, you are in a system. And if you're in the system, you have to decide, am I going to play checkers or am I going to play chess? Checkers is I'm going to wait for my annual review. Chess is I'm going to tell you, you're going to give me feedback on a quarterly basis. So if you got something to say now, don't wait for my annual review to give it to me. I'm giving you a heads up. I am receiving the feedback, which is my thank you to you so that you know you can invest in me and it is received. And then I think the last pro tip is, and bear with me, it's army up. And what I mean by that is make sure you have your army of advocates. What that entails is making sure you have people in your corner who you can leverage to play different roles in the environment in which you work, because we need mirrors for us, especially if we don't have a coach. You know, if the three of us are working on something together, I need Terry to tell me if I have spinach in my teeth. I need Dom to tell me if, no, that new do is not working for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like have your army of people who are just going to be straight with you in the context in which you work, right? They, they have to understand the space in which you operate in order to be part of the effective army of advocates that you employ. O-M-G. Dom, I know you're loving this too. I am so good. It's all up. It's so good. It's so good. I'm taking <laughs> Thank notes you, <laughs> Yes, this is so good, Farrah. I love that advice. And we do have an episode about how to take constructive feedback because what you said is so important. It's like you ask for the feedback, but then you have to be able to listen to the feedback, right? Even if you don't agree with it, just yeah. listen and create that relationship so that you can learn those things. I love it. Perfect, perfect. 
And if you find yourself getting feedback that you, this really like, this is like bonus pro tip. If it's feedback that's really just under your skin and you just feel like you have to respond and you just need to say something, say the following. That's really interesting. I'm looking forward to exploring that further. You said your piece. You got the last word in and just let it be that and move on. Boom. There you have it, lady. Fair on us. And Fair, now what we're going to do, we're going to shift up the energy in the podcast. And because we recognize and appreciate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and you can dance to strip club music if you so choose, right? You can be <laughs> ratchet, clatch it. We want to invite you to the OU Clatch It segment. So do you take on the challenge? I think so. However, do I get to re-record it? No, I'm just kidding. But yes. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so Farrah, this is a very easy one. This is a question more on the classy side of the game. What topic can you talk about all day? Oh, man. Dang, I can talk about anything. Just one topic all day long. Just one. You know what? Honestly, it's about authenticity. I could talk about that all day long because it gets into identity. It gets into so much. So give me the topic of authenticity. I could take it anywhere and everywhere. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of being our authentic selves, when we are on the dance floor, that's an opportunity to be our authentic self. So, Farah, would you twerk or two step? Oh, mm, where are we? Which dance <laughs> party? The holiday party or the wedding? Which one? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's important. That's important. <laughs> you choose. Which dance floor? Okay. You choose. Olympic ballet party. We're definitely two stepping because you know not everybody can handle the twerking, and with us and our magic and everything we do, including twerking, not everybody can handle it. So I'm going to, we're going to okay. two-step. All right. Office party, we get the two-step. Now let's say, now let's say you're just at home in your living room. Oh, then yeah, it's a combination of it all. Hey. All right. All right. <laughs> That's what we want to hear, Fair. Yeah. <laughs> our next question for you, Farrah. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, Wow. I want to be remembered as someone who stayed open to continuous learning of self in order to better enable others to do the same and become their most authentic selves, thereby leaving a legacy of living fabulously fierce. Oh, that's amazing. Beautiful. We need more people like you in the world, Fair. This Aww. is amazing. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay. I don't even know how to follow that up. That was so beautiful. <laughs> and then I'm coming through with like the ratchet question. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you know, that is that is the beauty of being clatchet, is that yeah, we are whole people. We are right. whole people. One moment we are taking this deep dive. Yeah, and the next moment we're just being ratchet, and I don't even know if we can call it ratchet. We are just having a good time. Yeah, yeah. and just living. Yes. Mm-hmm. So as we are living, what song will get you on the dance floor every time, no matter the situation? Oh my gosh, anything, Beyonce, anything. 
anything Beyonce. All right, I'm with it. Anything Beyonce. At the office party, Beyonce, you know, she is one that can transcend the environments. So at the office party, we can we can dance to Beyonce and then at home we can we can twerk to Beyonce. Yeah. And, I, and I think also because this might be a stretch. And I have a friend who, you know, dare I say, she's not a fan of Beyonce. But for me, like, <sighs> And like, I know, right? Just like, <laughs> I am, just to be clear, because if Beyonce is listening to this, I am a fan. Just yes, <laughs> you know. we're all fans. Just to be clear. <laughs> but like, even I just I I got my six miles in today, and I played Homecoming, and I'm running, but I I am dancing the entire time, and it's because yeah, that's anything Beyonce I can get will get me on the dance floor anytime. We love it. We love it. And Farrah, we're going to close out with our last question. Now, this is an interesting question because this is a new question that Dom and I have added to the roster. And I will say, and I think it was episode two, Dom, of season seven, Dom and I did answer this question ourselves. So know that you are not alone, Fair. You are in good company. But we must know. We must know. Oh. What would? <laughs> She's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> what would your stripper name be? Oh, you know what? This is horrible because <laughs> I had one. I don't remember it. Not because I was a stripper, but we played this game before. <laughs> this is a judge free zone fair. If you were, we'd be like, hey, girl, we still rock with you. <laughs> right. I think it was, bear with me. It, it was oh, something like Carmel Macadamia. Like okay. something. It was like, the color of your top that you're work- wearing at the time and the last thing you ate. It's like a pop-on. So I think, you know, I had to fancy it up. Caramel. <laughs> yeah. So that that was my that was my super name and I, I'll I'll keep it. Carmel Macadamia. Okay. Okay. I'm with it. Okay. <laughs> Fair, we had so much fun with you. We want to thank, thank you so much you. for your time. Thank you. Gems. Oh my goodness. Farrah, where can our listeners find you? Yes, you can find me on Facebook at just my name, Farrah Bernier. It's F-A-R-A-H. Last name is B-E-R-N-I-E-R. I also have a Living Fabulously Fierce Facebook page. And at Living Fabulously Fierce is the handle on our Instagram account. And lastly, you can also catch the Living Fabulously Fierce podcast on Spotify and Anchor. And you can catch Dom and Terry's episodes coming up soon on said podcast. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the HerSpace podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Thanks for joining us today in HerSpace. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast or 
check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am not limited by any past thinking. I choose my thoughts with care. We'll see you next week, ladies.